Well, Pastor Ross did arrive back to Santa Rosa yesterday. Yeah, he, he's safe. Uh, he needed one more day of rest, and then uh, he'll be back Sunday and next Wednesday to continue in this series of Joseph. We look forward to that indeed. This evening, we are in Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. We are in the life and time of Noah. Noah. It's interesting. When I think about Noah, I think about a great deal of the church that do not believe in the, the cataclysmic flood of the book of Noah. They have many questions, many doubts, and I hope that tonight that I can relieve some of those doubts. I hope last week was a, a great introduction to relieving you of those doubts. Uh, we, were, we had a lot of fun going through, I think, a total of 22 slides, and so uh, that's a record for me. Uh, but uh, I wanted to show you those fossils and the ark and all that other good stuff to show you how easy it could be done. There is a, a, a truth that runs through history in any arena of life, whether it's the simple $20 bill to the gospel message. Then there's also a fault, a lie that runs parallel to the truth in every arena of life. I think of when I was in New York City and I was walking down one of those busy streets and this lady came up to me and said, come here, sir, you can buy a Rolex watch for $80. And I'm like, <laughs> come on now, you know, $80. And she's a look, and she had every kind, the latest ones you could buy, you know. And, uh, and of course, you know, I, me, I'm such a negotiator. I got it down to 20 bucks, you know, and so... <laughs> You know, and, uh, but you can't tell the difference. You know, the experts can, but you know, the, the lie. And so it is with the truth. The Bible has so many truths in it, but it, there's a lie that goes right next to it. And the lie is pretty seductive. I mean, it, it really is. It, in some cases, it's just blatant ugly, like 60 million years ago. <laughs> really? I, I, that's science that can't be observed. You know, you know what that means? Flush it in the, yeah, flush it, flush it down. And that's what you get in most of your evolutionary hypothesis. They have to add millions and millions of years that they can't, that cannot be observed. And yet, the majority fall into it and they believe it. And so this evening when I speak of Noah in the ark, please, Please ready, ready yourself to know God's word and the truth and to accept it because the lie is there. You can turn on your, your internet, you know, and look in there and know, man, all kinds of lies. And even in the Christian realm, and so you have to dig through it, uh, there is a truth that runs parallel to that lie. And which one are you going to believe? That's the question. And so this evening we are in Genesis chapter 7. We finally got through Genesis 6. So let's read this, and it says there in verse 1, The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark. I love that. You and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animals, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animals, a male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, 
to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth seven days from now. And I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And notice, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this evening. We pray by your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us and cause your word to come alive in our soul. Help us to know your truth. Help us to surrender to your truth. And help us to see you in the scriptures this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've been reading, the whole world has turned to an evil side. They have decided to follow evil and everything that's contrary to good and everything that's contrary to moral live-in and uprightness, they have turned their back against. We see in Genesis chapter 6, there was an angelic force, a demonic force that came in, and it seemed like there was a lot of demon possession as well. And so it says there that everyone thought of evil continually. And so there's this flow of the human race. And, you know, when you calculate the genealogy, there's probably about 6 billion people on planet Earth. There's a lot of people. And not one wants to do right. That's quite amazing, except for Noah and his family. But think about that, that here is a world that's persuading everyone to do evil. An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, in a negative sense. And everything that, you know, is purely selfish, everything is for me. You know, that's kind of what our, if outside of Christ, that's what you live for. It's all about me, my selfish life, my, my possessions, you know. And so, that, and then you take on even an, an action. One day, uh, the, you know, when, uh, someone in our congregation said, will you, will you buy some land and, and cook some, I mean, and plant vegetables and stuff for the days to come? And, and I said, then what's next? We'll have to stand and hold a gun at each corner and then kill the ones for food? Yeah. Oh, I could never do that. You know, and self-preservation, I would rather die than shoot somebody to not give them food. So that's, you know, this is where we're at here in Noah's. But we're on the opposite side where they will shoot you and kill you. It's really all humanity is marred. And God said that in the beginning. He said, if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will surely die. You'll be separated from, my, from me and you will go to the grave. And that answers the question, the death. Because man does take the fruit, fruit, I mean the fruit of the tree, and he does eat of it. And then he sends, he sends the curse. God sends the curse. Every man, every person that's born from the man dies now because they rebel against God in some fashion, in some way. And so now it has progressed to an evil state of mind across the board. God said in Genesis 3.15, I'm going to send my son to a virgin to save the world. But how could he do it with this corrupt world? And it seemed like it would affect Noah at some point and his children. So God pushes the reset button, and I'm thankful that he did. And I think every one of you should be because you're alive here today because of that reset button. And you're saved. You're going to heaven just like Noah in the ark because of that reset button. And because you can pet your dog and he doesn't bite you and tear you up, you can think, God for that too, <laughs> as he saved the animal life 
two by twos it says there in seven. So we have a warped world and God had to push that reset button. He knew it was coming. I think the, the most difficult thing that you could read in the scripture is how God's heart is totally broken because he has to do this horrible thing with humanity. He loves mankind. In fact, it breaks his heart that a man would die, an evil man would die. It sends him into his, his, the depths of his, the pain. It sends him to a place where he contemplates, oh, my child, my child, why have you forsaken me? It sends him there. It damages him in some sense, for sure. The pain is there. It describes him throughout the scriptures. And now that has taken place, it says here Noah was righteous simply because that simply because he trusts the word of God. That's that's righteousness, by the way. If you want a right standing with God, it's just trusting what he says. And everything that God has declared, Noah has accepted. And that, that is quite an amazing. Throughout the scripture, it is made clear that the only way to be righteous before God is through faith. The author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, if you go there on that screen, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says this, um, by faith, Noah warned, uh, I'm sorry, let me, let me read the, the beginning of that because it's really amazing. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now notice how quickly Noah's life comes up right after that. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, remember he'd never seen rain, never seen a flood, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemns the world, and he became heir of, the right, of righteousness that comes by faith. I love that the beginning starts out, and without faith it is impossible to please God. That's important because you must believe that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. Are you one of those who diligently seek after God? Because that sets apart the human race, those who are seekers and those who aren't. And those that are seekers are the ones that begin to please him and desire to please him. You know, you, you can come to this church tonight and you can be religious and never having a desire to please him. Never having a desire to do anything for God. Never wanting to give a tithe, never wanting to share the gospel message, never helping a helping hand to anyone, just never doing anything. It's very religious. I don't know if it's quite the faith that saves. <laughs> That's something that we have to question because when the divine God lives in you, there is a, an amazing change that takes place in your soul. Noah was righteous because he believed in God's word by faith. We are righteous because we believe in the words of Jesus. We're righteous, Jesus said, if you believe in me and ask me, Jesus saying this, to forgive you of your sins, I will impute righteousness to you by believing his words. Faith comes from here, and hearing comes from the word of God. You will confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart. You shall be saved. Simple words. We confess it with our mouths. It means we're saved by faith, righteousness. He believed everything that God said. 
And so he walked out into the arena of the unknown. Hundred and probably 70, 75 years to build the ark, but total 120 years. You know, getting all the wood, getting all everything prepared for that. 120 years when the floods begin. 120 years. I wonder if some of us could walk in faith for 120 years. <laughs> People making fun of you every single day. Every day their scoffers would come out. What flood, what rain. You've lost your mind, Noah. I wonder if Noah doubted. I wonder if Noah ever thought about, is this really from God? I wonder what Noah's wife thought about him. <laughs> wow, husband, you're really going to continue building that. It's been 118 years now. <laughs> he raised his children to love and honor God, so they were on board. His wife was on board. She would do anything. 120 years until he sees the first rain drop. That's a long time to walk in faith. I wonder how many faith have become shipwrecked according to what Paul says. Some have become shipwrecked chasing after the world. What does the world have to offer you? I, I speak to guys, men, that come in here, you know, on Sunday mornings and throughout the week and lives completely messed up, torn up, chasing a dream that was never there, chasing a life that they thought they could find outside of God. I can find it all. I can have it all if I do this route. And very small percentage get to enjoy their money as it is, you know. Very small. And even in that, there's so much greed and so much backstabbing and always thinking of money and, you know, just, just corrupts the soul, angers, bitterness. You could take that route. <laughs> or you can find your life in Jesus where there's peace, where there's joy, life more abundantly. He comes into the soul and gives you that radical, radical work in your heart. Verse 4 goes on to say, in Genesis 7, 4 says this, seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. So an extended period, seven days before I lock you in and uh, before I start the rain. Seven days. If God told you you had seven days, <laughs> what would you do? Would you quit yelling at your children, your wife, your husband? Would you turn off the porn? Would you throw the alcohol away? Would you, what would you do? You had seven days. My, um, my uh, father-in-law called today, says that he has a blockage. He's had cancer, and, uh, and this cancer was supposed to kill him three years ago. And, uh, and so for whatever reason, God allowed him to live. And it's awesome because my wife, that's her dad, was always sharing Jesus with him. And he's saved and just rough on the edges. And he has a blockade now that is due to some kind of cancer growth. And they said, we're not going to operate anymore on you. So that's going to kill you. It's just a matter of time now. And I thought to myself, how many days is it? And what would you do with the last days that you have? 
in some strange way, I think that in my last days, I want to I share with every single person I can and tell them, hey, I'm going to die in seven days, but I want to tell you something. Jesus loves you. I think that I might be able to do that if I'm feeling okay. <laughs> what would you do with your last seven days on earth? We totally, we'd probably, we'd probably get right. <laughs> right living, you know, no longer driving like a crazy person and yelling at people and trying to be first in the grocery line and trying to block them out with the cart and trying to, you know, just, no, you first, you know, you first, you know. I think we would change, indeed. Seven days is time's up. I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. Not the water animals. He's already made that clear. All the animals on the earth. And Noah, in verse 5, it says this, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. I love that verse. It's just a, a verse that echoes in my heart so greatly that, that everything he did over and over and over again, everything that the Lord asked of him, he was willing to do. You know, it's something that, that I wrestle with a lot in my life because I know that the Lord is asking me to do a lot. You know, to whom much is given, much is required, right? Uh, so I always, or, you know, <laughs> I always think, man, I should be doing a lot more than I am already, you know. And, um, and so I wrestle with God about doing things, you know. No, I don't know, Lord, I, uh, you know, and I wrestle and I wrestle. And I, and I go, one day, God, I'm going to be like Noah. <laughs> I'm just going to say yes to everything and do it right there and then, you know. Why don't you witness to that guy? Oh, no, that guy is really big. You know? <laughs> <laughs> One day I was walking in Las Vegas Boulevard. We were sharing the gospel with so many people. And there was this guy, he must have been 6'8", and he was huge. I mean, he must have been a football player. And, and I, was, I was walking, and he was standing in, in, the, in the pathway, and I thought, okay, I, Lord, I want you to go share with him. I go, I ain't sharing with that guy, man. That guy looks like a Raider, you know, <laughs> Oakland Raider from Las Vegas, man. I ain't going to share with that guy, you know. And, man, I was so convicted. And so I turned around and I said, hey, sir, sir, do you have time to hear about Jesus? And he said, man, I would love to, but my wife's pregnant and I'm trying to stop this guy over here to, to get her in. And I go, let me help you, you know. <laughs> so, but, I, I, you know, he wanted to hear. And if time would have permitted, I'm sure. All because I was afraid, you know. I had a group of probably 24 young adults with me and we were sharing, and they said, Bon, just show us how you do it. Just show us how you do it. And I go, okay, this is how you do it, guys. And so I'm sitting there, and, I, and they're all just acting like they're doing nothing but back here. And I'm waiting for the first guy, and this guy walks up, and I go, hey, excuse me, sir. And he says, yes. And I go, hey, I want to know if you have time to hear about Jesus. My heart is coming out of my chest, because like, I'm always scared. I'm, it never gets comfortable. And he goes, and he, and he looks at me like and he gets and he pulls he put his hand in his pocket. I'm thinking he's going for a gun. <laughs> he's going for it, man. And and so and so and then he pulls out this small Gideon Bible. And he says, I've been asking God to send someone to tell me about this. I look at over at all those twenty-four guys, and I said, That's how you fish. That's that's, that's how you fish, man. You know, and then they were all like, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> he gave his life to Jesus. It was a great time. But, you know, I wish I could just be on demand when God says do it. Yeah. I wish. Verse 6 goes on to say, And Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his son and his wife and his son's wives entered the ark to escape the water of the flood. A pair of clean and unclean animal birds and all creatures move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God commanded Noah. And after seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. That must have been quite surprising to everybody when that first droplet hit. It, it seemed like in the beginning when you read Genesis chapter 1, it seems like that there was some kind of canopy or something that caused a nice perfect, uh, you know, where a uh, perfect dome where it would just dew would fall on all the plants and water it uh, completely on planet earth. And so, it, 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 so there was no droplets. There was no flood. And so it says that even enough water would fall down that it would flow to these rivers. And it talks about those rivers there in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then, or in Genesis 2. And then, you know, so it, now but the droplets hit. Can you imagine the faces that must have been quite for those who were there in front of Noah and who made fun of him that was a wake up call for sure and after 7 days the flood waters came on the earth and it says there in verse 10 and in the 600th year of Noah's life on the 7th day 17th day of the second month on that day all the springs notice all the springs of the great deep burst forth the floodgates of heaven were open and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So it wasn't just the rains. It was the water that came from below. It was the water that was stored up in the heavens came crashing down on planet earth. And this is always an argument. Is there enough water on planet earth to cover every mountain? And all the experts would say, no, there isn't. But I have to think of the, the, the sources of waters. The Hebrew word uses in Genesis 7 there, uh, 11, are important and revealing. On the first day of the flood, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven open. The deep is used 36 times in the Old Testament and usually refers to the oceans. The fountains imply subterranean waters coming up into the earth's surface, kind of breaking up the, the earth. It seems like the earth was one mass. And as the water began to gush up, it began to split the mass and causing the, the masses to move forward upward, creating these huge mountains we have today, these mountain ranges. It's easily answered. What bothers me is the Christians say that there's not enough water on planet Earth. I don't know. Have they ever seen a local flood? I have. <laughs> when we were in Kerala, man, there was a flood that broke out that covered almost all of Kerala. We're like, that's amazing. Hundreds and hundreds of square miles covered with water, four or five feet deep, local floods. There's a lot of water up there. But what bothers me is this, and this is, it's found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And it says this, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What waters? 
the waters that covered the whole earth. <laughs> that bothers me that Christians said there's not a one-off water on earth because it already stated in our Bible that the waters were covering the earth. Look at the next verse, 9 through 10. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. The whole planet was covered with water. He's not a problem. This is the second flood we're reading about. (laughs) That's not the first time. And I don't know why scholars don't read that. In Genesis 1, it makes it clear that the whole earth was a ball of water. Then God caused the firmament to appear, the land to appear. That just so bothers them that they don't want to read their Bible and see how clearly it's stated. Today, the oceans cover over two-thirds of the earth's surface to, the, to a great depth. The average depth of the major oceans beyond the continental shelves is about 12,000 feet, with some trenches are significantly deeper than Mount Everest is high. That's a great deal of water. So much water that if you lowered the height of today's mountains and raised the ocean valley, there would be more than enough water to cover the whole surface of the earth. So they said that you can tip Mount Everest into the, one of those valleys and it would the water would cover it. Isn't that amazing? Into these depths. These people that want to say that it was a local flood, you, you, got, you have a lot of problems. You didn't have to tell Noah to build an ark. You could have told him to walk to the next mountain range. You know, come on now. You didn't have to save all the birds. Oh, I don't want to go there anyways. <laughs> Just tell the birds to wait over there, you know. <laughs> yeah. Common sense. Anyway, okay, next one. It says there, it says, uh, on that very day, Noah and his son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife, and the wives of the three sons entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kind, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, and everything with wings, pairs of creatures that have the breath of life in them, came to Noah, enter the ark. Why did the animals have to come if it wasn't a local flood? Just go over to the other side of the mountains over there. Come on. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing. As God had commanded Noah, then the Lord shut him in. Ooh. I think that it's good in two cents. The Lord shut him in, initiates his protective care over the vessel, and finally ends the anxious moment of the narrative as the occupants hasten within the walls of safety. Closing the ark's door signals the divine protection that keeps out of the raging seas. Noah and his companions did their part as God had commanded. Now the covenant Lord does his part, sealing the door, which could result in either their doom or their salvation. And we know it's the latter for sure. The fact that the Lord shut Noah in the ark represents the fact that God determined the time and the season of his divine judgment. He determined the day to shut this door and he will determine the time and the day to shut the door and end man's opportunity for repentance. He determines the day of every man's death and of the future prophetic events of the wrath and the judgment of the almighty God. There is another day coming. There's another day coming. This here has twofold 
the idea that God, she seals the door and protects them. The second idea is this, is that it's only one way in. You can't come in any other way. And that way is done. You had one, you had one opportunity. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. I get to share at a, uh, it, there's going to be, I don't know, a couple thousand Chinese Christians and I get to share about evangelism with them and the first message is going to be don't waste your life like Lot. Saved life, but he wasted his life. Saved life, wasted life. Don't waste your life. You have, there's so much enjoyment on planet Earth in Christ. There's a, there's, a, there's a lie that runs parallel to that. And the lie is this, you'll never find happiness in Christ. Because you can't get drunk, you can't get high, you can't do sexual immorality, so that will never, you'll, never find ple- you'll never be pleased. That's a lie. <laughs> it's a lie from the devil, man. Right? When I counsel with these young men and women fresh out of the world, oh my, what a lie. The devil told me I could have fun and I tried to have fun outside of my wife's life and now I'm not having so much fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If you're going to cheat on your wife, there's no fun in that. When she finds out or vice versa, right? There's a golden rule. So much lies are shared with young people. Do this, do that. There's so much life. You know, I, I, when I was uh, in Mexico, uh, there was a young man that was with me and uh, with us and our group, and, uh, and a car comes roaring by. And he goes, where is that? Where is that car? And I go, I go, would it surprise you if it was that dirty station wagon right there? You know? He goes, I know it wasn't that, Bond. I know it wasn't that. And I go, why does a loud sound like that entertain your heart like that? Isn't that interesting, huh? Like, oh, that was like, I could find life in that, you know? I remember putting headers on my car with these big mufflers, and I regretted it after that. I'm like, this is getting, you know, I thought I was cool for like four or five months, but after that, I was like, I'm done so funny the things that we chase after that we think were so cool and so entertaining so much lies careful we fall to those lies so easily let's read verse 17 it says this for 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth and as the waters increased they lifted the ark high above the earth The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. uh, And some say 22, 25 feet. So the the ark could, you know, go by any mountain (laughs) and any height, and and do it without touching land. That's how much water. We'll know that the ark lands on Mount Ariat, and uh, 
and we will see how high that mountain is our next time when we're together, which will be next year. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting, the height of this water, you know, when, when you think of the mountain tops and all these mountains that we have today, they weren't necessarily there at the beginning of this. There was mountains indeed, but they weren't that high until the upheaval of all the earth when all the waters began to gush forth. And as you look at the mass of land, it begins to crack open and begins to spread over. And as you look at it today, you're looking, thinking all this land mass can fit as a puzzle put right back together. And so this created all these heights by the end of the, end of the we'll see 150 days after it's all said and done, the waters start to recede that it's done. It's the height now is even higher and it seems like that these mountains are starting to come back and form and quite crazy atmosphere, that's for sure. Mo Noah will come into a life that has changed in a dramatic way. The ice age begins to kick in. You think of all the gases that have been flung up into the air with all the dust that's in the air, blocking the sun instantly and creating this ice age where we find, we find many, many woolly mammoths all over the place all over the place, mainly, mainly in the, 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 the snow-capped earth, and they pull them out, and they have these subterranean veg, uh, vegetation in their mouth and in their digestive system. Like, how did, how did that get there? Because at one time it wasn't like that, and they froze instantly. Isn't that amazing? The animal life that we saw the last few times here throughout the world. Remember I showed you the well, the carcass of the well, the bones, the fossil of the well in the Sahara Desert. Remember that one last week? And then I also showed you the wells and all the other different fish there in Chile. How did they get there? Today I have a really interesting one I'll show you to you. They just found this year, 2022. I'll show you to you at the end here. It's It's amazing because you're going to laugh where they found it. <laughs> the waters rose and covered the mountains to the depth of more than 20 feet. Every living thing that moved on earth perished, birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind, everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died, every living thing on the, on the face of the earth was wiped out Men and animals and creatures that moved along the ground and the birds of the air are wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with the ark, those with him in the ark, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Kept gushing out. We looked at the animal life last week as well. We looked at the different kinds of animals. Remember, you don't have to have every single kind of dog, you just need, you know, the canine, the two, and you just need the feline, the two, and they would promote all the dogs and promote all the cats. You don't need them all, very little. When you think of the ark and the size of it, I showed you guys the picture compared to the other ships last time, our time together. There's a lot of room for all that, a lot of room for food, a lot of room for water, Tons, tons of room. And if you ever go to the, uh, the Noah's Ark exhibit there in Kentucky, you can see that for your own eyes. It's pretty amazing. 
Uh, we have answers. We have answers for all. Any, anybody ask any questions, we have answers for it all. Truth. But there is a lie that runs parallel to truth. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. All these animals scurried everywhere. All these, uh, even the, you know, if you think about all these different sea creatures were caught in the moment and stamped into history, became fossils all over, all over planet Earth. When you go to Mount Everest, you can find seashells and fossils of fish, animals there, mammals, I mean, uh, amphibious creatures of all sorts. How did they get there? Was that one time one ocean and then all of a sudden it was forced upward? Maybe. The waters, it's, you know, when you look at verse 21 to 24, there's a lot of creatures being killed there. I always say, does the fossil record show this? You have a lie that runs parallel. They will say, oh, no, no, no. Oh, yes, 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 there is. Marine fossils high above sea levels. I showed you that last week. It's beyond dispute among the geologists that on every continent we find fossils of sea creatures in rock layers which today are high above the sea level. For example, we find marine fossils in most of the rock layers in the Grand Canyon. This includes the topmost layers in the sequence. Isn't that fascinating? They don't want to tell you that. Oh no, because that would blow everything up. They don't want to tell you that. Fossils found together, you know, they always say if there was a flood, all the fossils would be scattered. But we found a lot of fossils where they weren't scattered. Yeah, there's some that were scattered, but then there's a lot that weren't scattered. Fossils found together at the La Brea Tar Pits in Los Angeles. And I'm thinking, how come I never went and visit that place? I lived right by there. At the La Brea Tar Pits in Los Angeles, they show lots of skulls of prehistoric saber-toothed cats. They have also found lots of bones from rabbits and birds and other modern creatures. They don't display them prominently because nobody cares about the rabbit bones. <laughs> Tourists just want to see the ferocious cat. But this partial display tends to create the false impression that only prehistoric bones are found in the asphalt pits. How's that for a lie, right? Wow. I always wondered that, by the way. How come they don't find the rabbits and the squirrels and the bones and all that? They do. They just not, don't want to show it to you because it's not that interested to you. Interesting to you. You're not going to pay 50 bucks to go in the park to go see rabbit bones. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Animals from mixed habitats. Listen to this. Fossil graveyards often contain numerous animals from mixed habitats. Saltwater fish are sometimes found with upland dwellers. Crocodile fossils are found with deep sea creatures and Arctic mammals. You don't hear that? Why? There's a, there's a lie that's run parallel to the truth. Crazy. They could scarcely be lumped together in this way by uniform process of today. Some great cataclysmic is needed the flood, the flood, the flood. Can you put up that next slide? This is a good one. Just found out. April 28, 2022. Read this. Reuters put it out, right? 
Fossils from the largest creatures ever to swim, Earth's oceans, whale-sized marine reptiles called ichthyosaurs. There, thank you, Kurt. Kurt is the expert science guy there. Ichthyosaurs, right? Have been found in a, a counterintuitive place, yes, on top of three mountains in the Swiss Alps, <laughs> up to 8,990 feet above sea level. Show that picture of the ichthyosaurus. You got it there? There you go. That's what it looks like, right? And this is where they found it. If you go to the next slide, this is where they found it, up in the mountains, right? Um, how did it get there? 60 million years ago, you're like, that's not observable science. That's what we tell our teacher all the time. They get, they get mad when we tell them that. Then they kick us out of class and give us a, a D in our grade. We birdie pass. How did they get there? Scientists on Thursday described rib and vertebrate fossils. If you go back to that writing there, there you go. Scientists on Thursday described rib and vertebrate fossils from two ichthyosaurus individuals, one about 69 feet long and the other 49 feet. They, des they described from a third individual the largest known tooth from the ichthyosaur with a base of 2.4 inches. This is how big that tooth is, right? So two inches, right? The base, 2.4 inches wide and estimated at six inches. I wouldn't want to catch that or I wouldn't want him to catch me. Suggestive of fearsome predator. Yeah, how'd it get in the mountains, though? <laughs> I showed you the Sahara Desert of the well. I showed you of all those fishes that were in Chile, mountaintops there. And now we have these ones just reported to us in 2022 on April the 28th by rooters of all people. These fossils, these huge animal fossils. How did they get there? How did those, how did they get there? Well, they tell you 60 million years ago, there was, you know, the earth had an upheaval. The, you know, the, the meteor hit the earth, sent it to its axis, and, and all of a sudden the water shot up. Doesn't that sound like the flood story? Yeah, teacher, that sounds like our flood story. No, because this happened 60 million years, not 6,000 years ago. But anyway. <laughs> Peter says this, that... You telling the world that Jesus is coming has caused people to scoff at you. But they know about the flood story, Peter says. They know that Jesus called out the flood. And they knowingly know this, and yet they hide the truth. But they rather scoff at you and laugh at you. But there is a time when the door is shut and no man can enter anymore. And Jesus, who's so loving, broadcasts worldwide to every single mankind, come to me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is a way to enter heaven. I represent the Noah's Ark, Jesus says. It's interesting, there's a word called kofar that speaks of pitch. It's the pitch they use inside and out of the Ark. It's a covering. It's for atonement. It's the same word used in Leviticus as a sacrifice would cover you, call for. It's what Jesus did on the cross for us. He covered us. Same pitch, same covering.
only if you would receive. The Lord told Noah to put pitch on the inside and outside of the ark. Pitch is a black or dark substance like tar. However, in the Hebrew word for pitch is kephar. Its definition is to cover, purge, make atonement, make reconciliation. So just as Noah was told to cover the entire inside and outside of the ark with pitch, so Jesus is our cover, our atonement, reconciling us back to God. We were broken from God because of our rebellion. We have it today. For 25 years of my life, I waved my fist at God and said, I'm not interested. And it was on the 25th year of my life that I fell down and gave my life to him. I had one of the most craziest worldly life, one of the most entertaining worldly life that you could ever have. Fun, fun, fun. Excitement. Once I gave my life to Jesus, 100 times better. (laughs) Fun, fun, fun. Exciting. There was a difference. That peace and that fun and that 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 joy that we call it happiness I was in search of could not be found. So every adventure was trying to get that. The latest quad, the latest boat, the latest trip, the latest girlfriend, the latest, you know, it was always something to try to get that happiness in. Couldn't find it. 25 years, I fall on my face, I surrender to you the first day. I'm so happy. It's called joy because it's given from the Spirit of God. And it hasn't dissipated one bit. I've been walking with the Lord over 30 years now. Loving Him and living for Him. He paid for us. He made a way. And He's given us the life that we can have today. The life that you search for. If you're willing. You can be one of those scoffers tonight. I've shared in many churches where they're scoffers. It's okay. I was a scoffer. I waved my fist at God for 25 years. And when I realized after 25 years of filling my royal oats, if you will, there's nothing more. And that's all life has? Wow. That's all life has. And now, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And that's when Jesus found me. Thank you, Jesus. Life and life more abundantly. And he's yours by simply asking him to come into your life. Forgive me my sins. I believe in you. I believe in your word, the whole story. I believe it. And I accept you in my life, Jesus. And then Jesus says, good, you're my child. Now show me. I'm going to show you how to live for me. And it's an amazing life. And you can have that by just a simple prayer, just like that. For those of you that are Christian for many years and you lost the joy, the Bible says the joy cannot be lost. What happened? It gets foggy. (laughs) Circumstances, situations, pains. That joy is there to be had. Focus back on Jesus. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. Lord, I believe every bit of it, Lord. I've seen the truth with my own eyes, Lord. I've seen the the parallel lie, Lord. And and by faith, I have to receive that for 60 million billion years. I'm not going to do that. I trust in you. And I pray for my friends tonight. 
that they would turn their hearts to you and trust you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us right where we're at, that you would show us your goodness and your kindness and your mercy, that you would show us the ark, the door is not closed for us, it's wide open, and that you're beckoning us. Come on in, good and faithful servant. That's all you need to say. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.